0: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. I'm very excited for today's guest. I've been following him for a while. His Instagram handle is known as Four Weeks to the Beach. Welcome, Aram. I'm wel- I'm excited to have you here.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I know that we've been trying to get you on for a while. And since it's been the new year, I've been seeing a lot of common issues. And we've kind of been going back and forth here on problems that we see and I feel like we're both trying to make a positive change here in the fitness industry. Can you go more into detail about what your goal is for people with achieving their fitness goals, like your goal as a coach?
1: I'd say my biggest thing that I like to tackle, at least from an informational standpoint, is providing as much usable fact as I possibly can. And I know the reality about fitness sciences or nutrition science, even too, is that there's really no real standard and every body is so different and every every person's physiology is so distinctly different that it's impossible to give them a best practices or you know this works for me so it's going to work for you the reality is there are some rules that people can adhere to to help themselves out but once those initial rules and those initial goals get kind of tackled and understood the nuance does become important and i don't think a lot of people are ready for nuance right out of the gate, but nuance does make a difference at some point. So I think dispelling common myths about certain named diets or why they work is important to understand. Explaining the difference between the types of training that exist to people so they understand what's best for them and what's best for their goals makes sense. And then really educating people on what the metabolism does and how it, how it reacts and how it works, because there's this misconception that Oh, well, my metabolism is broken or, you know, my metabolism is, is bad or I was born with a genetically bad metabolism. And the reality is, is yes, there are some people that probably have those types of issues, whether it be actual diagnosed thyroid problems or diagnosed hormonal issues right out of the gate. But typically most of those problems are going to be lifestyle induced and behavior problems for years and years and years that have built up to an ultimately bad situation to where you do become fat loss resistant.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of issues that I see. I mean, we got people who struggle with being patient people who want to jump on every single fad that they see chronic dieters, you know, there's a lot of just, different realms that people are coming from and that's why it's super important that whenever you're consuming content that not every single message is for you you know the chronic dieter your advice shouldn't be to be in a calorie deficit because you've been trying to be in a calorie deficit or you know for the person that is always going out and getting fast food like your message isn't to take that extra rest day because like you're already being lenient and you're probably not putting in a a whole lot of effort. So you have to really understand like where you're currently at and just be careful with the information that you are taking in because not everything applies to you. And I think for myself, like when I started my fitness journey, I didn't fit the mold of the average person. I was never like struggling to go work out or to eat healthy. Like I wanted to do those things but then I did them to the extreme <laughs> and there are a lot of women that I see struggle with that too. Yeah. I
1: would say females <laughs> probably fall into two camps. There's the, the novice female who probably hasn't done much from a way of actually understanding food consumption or exercise. And then there's the female that's been at it for probably three or four or five years. And there may be some disordered patterns of over-exercise and maybe some restrictive food habits that, that impede their progress. but. Being realistic with your own goals and who you are as a person and what your lifestyle is. Like, I, I have a lot of women that I work with who are in their 40s and 50s who have full-time careers, three or four kids at home. And now with COVID, everybody's in the same house. And they're on conference calls and they're doing emails, but then they're to, having to take care of their kids and their lunches and this and that. They... Don't have the time that they used to have when they were a 24 year old college kid or right out of college when their parents are still helping them out with pills and they have eight hours a day to train and you know food is just a lot more cooperative in their system at that point so mm-hmm. especially for females is mitigating those expectations and knowing that like hey i'm not 25 anymore i can't look and feel the same that i did back then because my life is vastly different than it's ever been so i have to just be able to do the best that i can with what i have now and if my schedule allows for me to free up and be able to allot time to these things then i can throttle up and put my foot on the gas and be really good on those days but on the days where i just can't do it then i do the best that i can on that day
0: yeah i really liked that perspective because i feel like a lot of coaches will I don't want to say a lot, but there are a few coaches that will compare themselves to their clients. So they'll almost be like, well, you know, if you can't get your workout in, like my day's so busy and I have this and this and this going on and I get my workouts and it's like, okay, well, number one, shaming is the first way to get someone to shut down and not hear what sort of message that you're going to give. But number two is your lifestyle is completely different. I don't have any kids right now i don't have to go into an office and have a job so like that's why even me sharing a full day of eating feels silly because it's like i i have access to cook my food throughout the day and i know that not everybody has that so uh-huh. you have to also recognize these people that you compare yourself to is this their full-time job is this fitness person this coach or you Bikini competitor. Is that basically their full-time job? Yes. Okay. You're already comparing to an unrealistic standard and you have to take your lifestyle and be realistic with your goals, which can be challenging because you do see these girls that look amazing and guys too, and they make it look effortless. But in reality, there is so much effort that goes into it and time. And there are people out there who truly don't have the time. You know, People who are pulling 24-hour shifts In the healthcare field, like there's people who are deployed and have horrible sleep and they can't fix these certain biofeedback markers. So, like, we have to be mindful of that as well.
1: My heart goes out to women, especially. Like, I think I treat men and women distinctly different. And I think I end up gravitating towards women more because I understand what women go through when it comes to body image and self confidence issues and living up to a certain standard. I understand what it's like to eat emotionally. I understand what it's like to have hormone problems because I've had them myself. So, you know, for most men who have a decent internal structure and they have decent chemistry sets, any type of thing that you give them, they're pretty much going to be responsive to it if they adhere to it. Mm -hmm. For women, you could be doing everything right for weeks and weeks and weeks, and there could be no change. Or there could be a scale increase, and all of a sudden now there's panic. And it's like, well, I've been eating well, I've been exercising i've been sleeping well i've been hitting my water i've been hitting my steps and nothing's working and that's menacing and i think what a, a lot of females forget to understand is that you're at a physiological disadvantage because of the monthly fluctuation of hormones mm-hmm. and because that happens so frequently the body never quite feels settled so you're kind of bouncing in and out of all of these good feelings and bad feelings on top of that, now couple this ridiculous standard that people have on women of you have to be a certain size and you have to be like this and God forbid you have an ounce of muscle, you're going to look manly and you have to be a little skinny, thick little rail and not every woman is built like a rail. Some women are a little stockier, some women aren't. Some women are taller or shorter. It's there's You could put seven women in a row next to each other that all weigh 150 pounds and they will look distinctly different from each other. Mm-hmm. And it's menacing to have to live in a world where that's the standard every single day. So when it comes to body image, it sucks to have to live in that type of a scenario where even if you're doing everything right, you still don't quite feel good enough because open your phone and now there's some girl who is your age who looks way better than you do. And now what do you do? What's she doing? How did she get there?
0: Yeah. So
1: it's, it's frustrating.
0: My brother told me this. Thing when I was really young, and at first it really hurt my feelings, but now it doesn't. And he said, "There's always going to be someone prettier than you." And at first I hurt my feelings because when I was, you know, twelve, I like I want to be the most beautiful girl ever. You know, I want every guy to want to date me, and all that whatever stuff that middle schoolers struggle with. But now it's such a good thing because there's always going to be someone stronger than you. That's prettier than you, that has more money than you, that has nicer things than you do. There's always going to be someone out there that has more and that's okay. You can be happy for them, but you also have to be happy for yourself and where you're at. Even like with other things in my life, like with the car I have or the house I have, it's like, there's times where I'm just like, well, this person just got this, like, why can't I have that? And it's like, okay, let me bring myself back down. I have a house, I have a car, you know, I have these things that some people don't even have that. And they would be happy to just have something. And I think the same goes with our physique. It's like, we can get so outside of like our expectations and try to achieve the standard. And the funny thing is, is that standard is always moving for women. And it's never the same. You get some women out there who post a transformation of them building muscle. All the comments down below would be like too manly. You look too big. What drugs are you taking? And then if you get a woman that loses weight, then it's like, oh my gosh, you're so sick. Do you have an eating disorder? You're too small. And then you see a woman that gains weight. Wow. You really lost yourself. You have no control. You can never please everyone. So that standard of your body is always going to change and you have to take everyone's opinions and push it to the side and just focus on what you want. For myself, I feel like it's hard because I put my body out there and I try to show my body in different phases of like gaining weight and then losing weight for show. But when I see other people in my industry saying so lean all the time and then there's me that I can't do that, I've even had people like DM and be like, well, like, why does your body fluctuate so much? And it's like, because I'm trying to be healthy. And that version of health will look different for everyone. And I'm kind of going off on a tangent now, but it's more so like, we have to realize that we're on our own journey and that other people are dealing with their own shit and we don't have to look like them.
1: (laughs) Well, and, and you bring up a really important point that I think a lot of people ignore when it comes to physique transformation, whether it be for the general population lifestyle client or for the competitor, like internal health matters.
0: Yeah. And if and, you don't have that, matter- it, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could look, I would argue that most people that are standing on stage are are very unhealthy human beings. Mm-hmm. Those people are depleted, those people are tired, they're overworked, they're under eaten, they're underfed, they're undernourished, they're completely cortisol stressed out, their hormones are in disarray by a thousand. So you can look amazing in like a statue for those three minutes or for those few poses until the next day. And what does every single competitor go and run out and do the next day is have those cookies and have that cheat meal and have that pizza because they've been wanting it so bad. What I think the average person needs to realize is that just because somebody looks really good doesn't mean that they're healthy on the inside, nor does it mean that they're very, very stable mentally, because when you look your best... And you deviate even a little bit away from that body, it starts to torment you because you remember how you looked when when those pictures came out, and you were twelve percent body fat as a woman, and you were super super lean, and every striation was popping, and you felt like you looked amazing. Now you you forget how you feel in those moments because you looked so good. Yeah. But internal health, especially today, with everything we have going on in our world. I mean, we're now seeing that obesity is completely the reason why people are getting sicker and sicker. We're seeing more and more chronic illness occur because food quality is just not, especially in the United States, right? If you go anywhere else in the world, I think you're not battling a lot of the same problems because the standards for food are just much higher. Mm -hmm. But here, you have to be very careful about the stuff you pick off the shelves because there are chemicals in there that are going to disrupt hormones. There are going to be chemicals there that affect gut health. Mm -hmm. And these things are important. So don't just sacrifice the inside of your body for looking a certain way, because you have to be, you have to understand, and this is a journey that I'm on now is I can't focus on how I look externally until I fix what's going on inside. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: you know, I'm not in horrible shape. I'm not overweight, but I don't feel well. My stomach is chronically messed up. I struggle from inflammation. And what I do with my coach and all I do with my coach is we try to decrease stress decrease inflammatory response and increase gut health. And that's a really, really pain in the ass struggle because I can only train three days a week, which going from six days to three days and doing 65% of my max and everything is boring as all hell. I'm not allowed to do cardio. My menu is so limited. It's beyond belief that most people would be bored after a day. But. I have to look at the big picture of do I want to keep pushing in the wrong direction and feeling more and more like shit or do I want to start to back away and really understand how to feel good internally and we can't lose sight of that as people it's it's our job to feel good.
0: Yeah. There's really no point in looking a certain way if your health isn't there. And also you need to be real with yourself. Like we were talking about earlier before we hit record, like people don't realize how bad they feel until I think they just take a minute and just like do like a full recall, you know, your sleep, your energy throughout the day, libido, hair and uh, skin, nail health for women's health, like your menstrual cycle, if you're on birth control have you even had a menstrual cycle without birth control before so like seeing if you're even in tune with your body performance in the gym like when i was dealing with hormonal issues which my issues went from end of 2019 to all through 2020 i had no energy and my now husband would make fun of me because i would sleep 10 12 hours a night and i'd wake up tired and he's just like how are you still tired And it was frustrating for me. I didn't know why I was still so tired, but my cortisol was so high. Even nine months post-show, I had cortisol through the roof because my my coach at the time killed me, which I no longer work with that person. But my cortisol was so high for so long that I needed to sleep that much. And sometimes I even needed naps on top of that. So when you have something with your health that is wrong, and hormone wise, like it's, it needs to be addressed. And the more that you push it aside, the worse it's going to get. I mean, even for men, like for men, if your test is super low and you don't get that fixed, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you hit a wall and you have enough and you realize that like all these qualities of your life have like gone down. And, you know, that can also affect like your mood, your energy, your performance, digestion, all of that can be off. And, you have to want to make a change and making a change doesn't always look like dieting either.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's very easy to lean on pharmaceuticals or to lean on supplements. And everybody always asks, I'm sure you get a million questions a day about supplements the same way I do. It's Well, what can I take to fix this? Or what can I take to fix that? And I wish it were that easy. But unfortunately, the reality is, is if the inside is messed up, and internal health is not addressed and no supplement in the world is going to make a difference because you're probably not digesting it and absorbing it anyway and if you don't address the lifestyle habits that have caused these issues to come up then it's not going to make a difference you're just putting a band-aid on a problem that's going to always come up so what i you know as much as i would love the quick fix for my issues i know it's going to be probably a eight to ten week process before I even get anywhere near understanding how to heal my stomach, which means that's almost two months, that's two months of work. Then on top of that, it's gonna be recalibrating the types of food that I eat and then having to see how I feel under that condition. That's probably another two months worth of work. So I can't realistically expect any change in my body externally for probably at least six months to a year. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to do that because I'm patient and I understand and accept the process. When you talk to your average woman, especially, who has been through XYZ diet four or five or six times, who's lost 12 and gained 15, who's lost 20 and put on 25, what they need to understand is that their body has become resistant to fat loss because their metabolism has now down-regulated to a point where it does not want to function optimally anymore. It's just allowing you enough to survive. Mm -hmm. So the goal should not be, how little can I eat? And look and feel good it should be how much can i eat and look and feel good
0: so for our audience too like i think that a lot of women don't even know like what is considered low calorie and a high amount of cardio and not seeing a response what would you say would be a level that you would say that's for for most i would say what would you say would be a level that's like okay your body should be losing weight why isn't it losing weight you truly are doing everything correct
1: So the the textbook that I've, you know, that I've learned from and studied from, and I I went through NCI and precision and all that stuff, and I've obviously done a lot of independent research on my own through various, you know, RP, and I read a lot of PubMed articles about metabolism and metabolic health. Nine to 12 calories per pound is about the accepted range of weight loss for most people if their metabolism is flexible and functioning. Mm -hmm. So think about it this way. Take a woman you know, let's do the math. Let's say she's
0: 150.
1: Yeah, let's take 150 pounds and multiply it times nine. That's 1,350 calories. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the amount of 150 pound women that I've worked with who have logged their food for five or six days prior to us starting work together. And they were at 1,000 or they were at 1,200 on average. Now, obviously, when you log your food, you're going to be a victim to error. There's obviously human error involved in logging food there's consistency problems when you log food i mean i'm pretty spot on because i've been doing it for over a decade i'm sure you're pretty spot on because you have experience with it but when you first enter into the world of logging food there could be user error there could be typos whatever the case may be but let's say that that truly is a thousand calories Mm -hmm. that means that that person is eating under nine calories per pound of body weight which basically means that they're, they're not even getting into the, the medial side of the consumption. So what I would do with that person is I'd have to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to rebuild their metabolic capabilities slowly but surely through the manipulation of increased calories by way of probably proteins and fats first. But then obviously also have to make sure that they are exercising enough so they don't blow up. Because there's a potential to, if your body is only used to Mm -hmm. a thousand calories and it's maintaining weight, then you can probably believe that if you increase calories by five, 10, 15% slowly even, you may see an increase in the scale over time Mm -hmm. until the body starts to ramp up and catch up to that. Mm -hmm. And I think the more metabolic resistance a person has and the more times they've lost and gained weight, the longer it's going to take them to get themselves out of that hole. So you don't even know, like the idea of a calorie deficit sounds so easy and so simple. Like, oh, I could be in a 20% 20 calorie deficit and I'll lose weight. In theory, sure. But how do you know if you're already not in such a deep deficit that the metabolism has downgraded until you do that type of inventory? You don't know.
0: The biggest dictator of protocols for me is the diet history. And if you have this huge history of dieting or being like super low calorie, then high, and then super low calorie, then high. And then again, that weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain. And then you're at a level where maybe your body fat is high and you don't see a lot of definition, but it's because of all those um, rebounds in a way, it can be frustrating to be in that spot. But you also have to recognize that there's really no time amount that would will fix it so like when you do seek out the help don't ask your coach how long is this going to take because
1: we, we, don't
0: know. we don't know and we also don't love saying we don't know i mean i know that i don't love saying that but i'll also be honest and i don't know because for some people it takes three months some people take six months for me it took over a year <laughs> for me to even be at baseline Yeah, Um, that's baseline. And that's like bare minimum. And then I decided to prep again and I knew that I was uh, gambling, but I was smarter that time around. But regardless, it's like you need to be okay with something taking a long time. And I think in the grand scheme of things, if you are a seven-year chronic dieter, one year is nothing. Two years is nothing. So chill out. (laughs)
1: i have to be careful about how i say this because i don't want to offend people but let's be very realistic if you're a female who's heavy and let's let's call heavy 200 pounds plus right let's you're five foot three or 200 pounds you have a significant amount of visible body fat on you that did not occur overnight it didn't occur in a year Mm -hmm. it didn't occur in two years you're probably looking at a five to ten year process of which that accumulation started to slowly and surely build up to where, and I and I have examples of this left and right with females that I work with who are maybe 140, 150 post pre-pregnancy and then post-pregnancy coupled with lifestyle issues and job issues and stress issues. Now they went from 140 to 170 and then 170 turned into 200 then 200 turned into 220 and now that's where they're at. Mm-hmm. If that's where you are as a person and that took you 10 years to get there why is there an expectation that in six months or in 12 weeks that that will go back down to 140? 140 may not even be on the table ever again because I typically take whatever pre-pregnancy weight was. For your average person, I'm not talking about competitors or athletes. I'm saying average general population female. I take pre-pregnancy weight and I add 20 pounds to it. And I say, if we hit that, we're in pretty damn good shape. So let's, let's focus on doing the best we can with where you're at, forget about what you were pre-pregnancy because you're not, a, you're not the same woman you were before you had your first kid, let alone your second, let alone your third or fourth. Everything changes every single time. Mm-hmm. So this idea that you know it took us 10 years to put on 70 pounds, you can lose 70 pounds in a year, but you're probably going to put on most of that back on at some point if the habits that you've engaged in are not sustainable. Yeah. Something like cutting out all carbs. Yeah, that'll work until it doesn't. And that's going to create a lot of downstream issues on all sorts of other things, thyroid function, other further hormonal health, energy levels. You know, if you cut out any food group whether it's fats, whether it's proteins, whether it's carbs, it's a reduction in calories. Any reduction in calories will work until it doesn't, until the body adapts to it. And when you and I say until it doesn't, and we probably say this a lot, It's because the body is doing what it's supposed to do. The body is supposed to adapt to change in order to further survival. Your metabolism does not give a shit about you in a bikini. It doesn't care about you feeling good or looking good. It just wants you alive long enough to produce children. And then once that functionality is shut down, that's it. Yeah. That's all it cares about, and it sucks. It sucks, but it's working properly because it's trying to budget for worst case scenario it's survival and that's about as primal as it gets
0: and i mean for the ladies out there this is also why it's harder to lose body fat is all right we have estrogen a lot higher than men and so estrogen is a fatty based hormone so usually the more body fat you have the higher your estrogen is going to be but when you deplete that too much and you diet too much that's why you lose your period. I'm always amazed whenever someone is stepping on stage and still has her cycle. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you could just repopulate the world." Um very, <laughs> rare. very rare. I think that that that's a really good thing too with like pregnancy and change and the other issue too is women who are wanting to get back to their high school weight and that makes me sad because it's like you have adult women who are in their 40s late 30s maybe even their 50s and they want to weigh what they did when they were 17 and you weren't even fully developed at that point so we need to be realistic with our goals and what would you say i guess would be a realistic fat loss target for female from a week to week basis but also a realistic goal from a body fat percentage standpoint
1: so when it comes to fat loss, I've seen a pound a week in the extremes and I'm talking about females who weigh north of 250. But you have to remember, the lighter the female, the slower the rate of loss obviously because you just don't have as much to lose. The body will always prefer to keep fat on. It's it's the it's the it's it's what it feels safest in. Mm -hmm. The body doesn't want muscle. Muscle is expensive. Muscle takes work. Muscle takes energy. So fat doesn't take any of that stuff. Fat is just storage. It's like, cool, we're here. We're hanging out. A pound a week is a lot, in my opinion. You know, I would say probably if you're looking at trends of like, okay, we're down a half a pound this week, we're up a quarter of a pound next week, but then we're down another half a pound the following week. You're kind of playing in those under a pound here and there. Um, I have some women I work with that are overseas who work in kilograms. And when I see like a half a kilo drop, that's almost a pound and a half. So that's a lot. And I'm like, okay, what did you do this week that happened? That's a little extreme. I don't want to see extreme loss. Mm -hmm. Extreme loss is scary.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, why is it bad to lose weight too quickly? I know the answer, but.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, for me, but if you're losing weight that fast, there's got to be something extenuating going on there's got to be something outside of when we start to think about anything outside of the norm and outside of the average for that individual it gets frightening because what is the likelihood and probability that they're not going to be able to sustain that level of extremity for so long Mm -hmm. so if they're doing something that's creating a pound or a pound and a half weight shift every single week on the downward trend then there's got to be something happening from either an abundance of exercise happening on top of probably some very, very extreme caloric restriction or the completely the removal of entire items of foods.
0: Or a lot of
1: times, I mean, I don't know, heartbreak has always been very healthy for me because I end up just being super ripped. But a lot of times when women are going through heartache through relationship problems or whatever, they lose a lot of weight. Yeah. So that's also not a good thing. So I don't, I don't want to see that. I would much rather see Slow and steady, kind of like a, a down tick, then a flat, then a down tick, then a flat. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, you'll see a spike back up for for whatever reason. Shitty sleep, you know, stress was high, inflammation was high, training load was high. You went out with the girlfriends one weekend, and you had a little bit more carbs and a little bit more wine than you're typically used to. That can spike things back up again so it's this idea that it's never going to be you know you and i know and we preach this all the time there's never going to be any linear pattern
0: no i had a client the other day to reach out and she's more of a beginner and she's just like how can i stop these fluctuations like the trend back up i'm like you can't your body isn't a machine it's always fluctuating all the time i mean that would be like asking yourself to like go to the bathroom the same amount of times to each and every single day or to, um, I don't know, like the, it's just ridiculous. Like these expectations that we have for yourself in this scale. So we have to be okay with just collecting data and also working on not tying emotions to it. I really try to encourage my female clients to just look at that as a number. I also tell them a lot that you give me the number and let me worry about it. You just worry about execution because There's no point in you stressing about a number and trying to come up with protocols, especially if you have a coach, like I would hope that you trust your coach to just follow the protocols too. think of it in our perspective too. Like we're not going to guide you in the wrong direction because that doesn't serve you, but it also doesn't help us at all either.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I was having that conversation this morning with a couple of people. Like I have a woman who's been, who actively reached out to me because she wanted to reverse and she wanted to build muscle. And You know, that's a sensitive subject for somebody who's 40 plus years old, who's only got about a year of training under her belt. And I'm still trying to figure out if her body does better with fats, if it does better with carbs, if her training intensity is as high as she truly claims it is. And that's another element of the equation I think women need to understand is that.
0: Yeah, let's talk about training. (laughs)
1: Well, training is such a massive variable when it comes to the actual appearance and change and body composition is that I've seen people who have trained for five years who are still beginners, in my opinion, right? They're still, you know, they, they hit 10 reps and they know they had 20 and they just stop at 10. Or the exercise that they're doing are just completely suboptimal and a waste of time. The ranges of motion that they're going through are not effective. Their form is completely bad. Um, but typically, it's more 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 often than not, it's a problem of intensity. Mm -hmm. So, it's understanding that if you're on a machine or if you're using cables or anything that's safe, blow it out. Even if that means that you're barely getting a rep done, go through 10 or 12 full rep ranges of motion and then burn out with as much as you have left in the tank and give the muscle a reason to have to change. As opposed to what I see a lot of is like you should not be able to pay attention to a television set while working out. Yeah. You should not be able to read while working out, you are dialed in, there's weight in your hand that could get dangerous and you should be completely paying attention to every every joint action, every movement, every breath. I've been a trainer for way longer than I was a nutrition coach. And one of the things that I used to do is we would chat in between sets, 100%. But then as soon as they started working, I'd be like, Linda, shut up. Don't talk to me while you're working out. Mm-hmm. I, I'm making sure that your reps are on but it's your job as the person who's executing that exercise to count and be present. My job as a, as a trainer is not to be your rep accountant. My job is to make sure yeah. that you don't mess yourself up and that your positioning is perfect. But I still want you to be aware of how many reps. Like I shouldn't have to be like, get another one, get another Like No, you know you have 12 reps to do. If you know you have 14 or 15 left in the tank, do them and let me tell you when to stop because I could see when you're starting to fail. Yeah. That's it.
0: I think um there's a a saying that like personal trainers just count reps for their clients. And I'm like, that is honestly the biggest insult. I told all my clients in person, I suck at counting reps, so don't ask me to count because I'm paying attention to how your body's moving and I cannot pay attention to multiple things at once. And if their movement patterns are off and you know I'm going and like You know tapping this part of their body or giving them a cue here you know just keep track of your reps form is so important and there's so many great tools out there to help you even if you can't afford an in-person trainer which i do know that is a luxury like bodybuilding.com is where i learned how to lift and it really broke down everything for me and you
1: have to remember though you're an outlier you were actively trying to better yourself and to learn and to gain knowledge your average person is not going to spend even 20 minutes a day to go down the rabbit hole of understanding where their elbow angle should be on a on a row you know what me I
0: mean? in high school
1: <laughs> for for you and i like That's why we're good at what we do, because we wanted to learn that nuance. Yeah, because we're obsessed. (laughs) Some person, you know, I always have this expression, don't build me a watch, just tell me what time it is. A lot of people don't want to build those watches. A lot of people just want to know what time it is. They just want to be able to sit down in a machine, be like, cool, I know I think I'm doing my back, but, you know, I'm over gripping the shit out of this thing and now it's all biceps. They don't have that proprioceptive awareness or that body connection that you and I have developed Mm -hmm. from... Basically failing however many times we failed to realize that oh, yeah that's not working my lat whatsoever. That's 100% rhomboid at all bicep. And I, don't, I can't work my lats in that plate of motion because my body doesn't align that way. Yeah. But Susie Average, who walks into the gym for the first time after doing Peloton weight workouts with three pound dumbbells, is not going to understand biomechanics, nor does she really give a shit about biomechanics. Yeah. And as much as we want her to learn that, at three days a week of full-body workouts, it's probably not going to
0: happen. And if that's you, then you are the person that should hire a trainer. You know, you should have someone walk you through it, at least to teach you how to compound lift and use free weights. That is such a valuable tool. I never had that tool, and I actually did have to learn the hard way a handful of times. I remember the first time I deadlifted, I put on quarters, 25 pounds. I thought that that was light for me for a first-time deadlift. Granted, I was like 115 pounds. I pulled that thing up and I screwed my back up. And most people, I will say, will say, I cannot deadlift. That's an exercise that I can't do. No, I knew that I lifted that incorrectly. And I knew that my body could move in that movement pattern. And that's a big problem too, is people see these compound lifts, they do it wrong. And then they think, I can't squat. I can't deadlift. I can't bent over a row. I can't do a pull-up. No, you probably can. Your form is just shit. That's the problem. Have
1: you ever had the people that have told you that they have genetic orthopedic problems? Like, oh, I have bad backs running my family.
0: Yeah. Like, this is no, literally coming me. from a person where like everyone gets back surgery. So I'm just like, you can deadlift. It's fine.
1: No, like you can't. There's no such thing as genetic, I mean, yes, are there genetic deformities and orthopedic issues? Sure, every once in a while, but you don't have a bad back problem in your, in your bloodline. Yeah. It's, you have shitty biomechanics, and your weight's probably in your toes, and you're probably not engaging your spine properly and your, and your abdomen properly, and you're probably hunched over while you're doing a deadlift. That's why your back hurts while you're deadlift, or all the weight is on the front of your feet when you squat. And you have an absolutely zero abdominal bracing happy that's why you're not good at squatting and that's why your back hurts when you squat so
0: or even just soreness you have lower back muscles and i think people mix up soreness with pain like actual joint pain and there's a huge difference um that's even like for myself like i hate whenever my chest gets sore but It's just because I'm, that's one muscle that I'm not used to ever being sore. So like when it happens still to this day, and I'm an advanced lifter still to this day, I'm like, oh my gosh, I do something wrong. And it's like, no, it's just the muscle being sore and it's going to be sore for a little bit. And we have to understand that lifting should be uncomfortable. I don't think that it should be painful to the degree that you have to scream or anything like that.
1: It shouldn't be deep joint pain.
0: Yeah. It should be
1: the sensation of muscles burning. Mm-hmm. And muscular fatigue to the point of almost not being able to do something, mm-hmm. but that's so temporary. But I think a lot of a lot of men go through this too. Trust me, I've, I've trained a lot of guys who are like, "Oh, I'm done. It's ten reps and it's over." I'm like, "No, no, that's not enough." Yeah, a lot of people confuse pain, like you said, like actual, like orthopedic joint bone pain, with that's just sore and tight. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. You're you're elongating and shortening a muscle. It's gonna have to respond in some type of way. And if it's the whole entire reason why we're inside a gym is to break down muscle tissue. Yeah, you're
0: ripping it's, something apart. It's just, yeah, it's
1: it. that That's another point that I always make with people is forget about your device that's telling you that you're burning calories. Forget about your iWatch. Forget like I wear an Aura ring. Forget about your Aura ring telling you how many calories you burn. The only reason why you're inside of a gym is to improve movement and break down muscle tissue in order to build strength and build muscular resilience. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're, burning, you're burning way more calories outside of that hour in the gym that you ever, 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 ever will ever burn inside of a gym. So forget about it. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the calories burned on all of your equipment inside of the like you know the elliptical set. They're so
0: wrong, I mean, guys.
1: No, they you didn't. Eat, yeah, if that was the case, if your Peloton ride truly burn 900 calories every single day and you were only eating a thousand that means that you're netting 100 calories per day you should be dead after a week of peloton riding and not eating enough you should be dead and you're not so clearly there's a there's a discrepancy going on.
0: i used to get so pissed at myself when i was like 18 and i'd go on the stairmaster for an hour And I'd ride my bike to the gym, which was a three mile bike ride. And I was not losing weight. And I was like, but I'm burning like over a thousand calories a day. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, good job, Nicole. you have already started this metabolic adaptation at 18. But the math isn't going to add up. You're not a calculator. This is also why I hate whenever people get their macros from a calculator. I think it's just kind of a slap in the face. I don't pull out a calculator when I'm doing my client's macros, um, Granted, experience brings that. But you aren't this mathematic equation and nor is your body. And we're also going to have outliers. We're going to have people who are super petite and need to eat 3000 calories to maintain their weight. That's a very real thing. and. I can't really explain it. There are people like that who aren't hyperthyroid or anything like that, and they are just going through food like crazy. And that is something that I will say, your metabolism can be a genetic thing. Not always. I think a lot of people pull the genetic card before ever really putting in the effort, but there are rare instances where genetics can play a huge role in your metabolism.
1: What I I like to do every once in a while too, is because I have, I I would say probably 80% of my followers on Instagram are female, and a lot of them do work out. Every once in a while, I'll just DM somebody and be like, you know, are you counting macros? What are you doing for workouts? You know, because I I like to look at a varying body type Mm -hmm. because, you know, whether that woman is short or tall, I like to understand that. I like to, what's your athletic background? What's your lifting background? How long have you been tracking food? Understanding all that information helps me provide a case study to then give to another female who might be in a similar position as this one is. And then say, well, listen, this is what she's doing. This is how she's done it. This is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I like to be able to give people reference points. Be like, listen, if you truly want to see what the potential is, if every piece of the puzzle is aligned, go check out her page. See what she does. Understand that she's not eating a thousand calories and spending four hours a day on a treadmill. She's lifting weights four or five days a week. She's prioritizing really, really quality sleep and rest. She's hydrating a, a gallon and a half of water a day. And she's eating really clean foods at these quantities. So understand that this is somebody who's eating 2,600 calories a day with over 300 grams of carbs a day. And it's possible. She didn't start from nowhere. She had a long journey to get to this point, but it is possible. But that's five years in the making versus the five months that we've spent together. And you're still frustrated because nothing has happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, the people giving the whole, like, just eat 1,200 calories, do an hour of cardio a day. Those people usually don't even look them look good themselves. So it's like they already don't know what to do with their body. So they're not the best person to receive advice from. But you know, there are these people out there who are preaching like eating enough and eating good quality foods and like resting and not doing all this cardio, they're not bullshitting you. It's just that they've been through the ringer themselves this goes for myself in particular like i've been through it all so like i want to show you guys that you can eat enough food and have a body that you feel good and comfortable in now am i as lean as i would like to be no i don't have my six pack but that's okay because i'm healthy and i can go out and have date nights and i also realize that nobody recognizes if i have those lines or if i don't
1: (laughs) well so how many calories are you eating right
0: now Oh my gosh! Let's do the math. <laughs> that sounds bad, but it's just because I recently had a change.
1: No, I, I just think it's always fascinating to see how much people are eating. Because, for example, like I have a a woman who's almost sixty that I'm working with, and she's at like two thousand calories a day, and she's doing great.
0: I'm eating twenty six hundred.
1: Okay, and mm-hmm. how, how how much do you weigh?
0: Five. I'm five six and one hundred and thirty five pounds.
1: Okay, so I would. So if you think of it, you said twenty six hundred. Yeah. And you're 135 pounds? Yeah. So you're at 19 calories per pound. I'm high. And you're not gaining weight.
0: No, I've been hanging out at like 133, 135 for like two months now.
1: But again, this is because you've spent years rehabilitating your metabolism.
0: Oh, I screwed myself up for years. And like I've been the person to overexercise, I've been the person to restrict. I've been the person because I even had an eating disorder. Like I've been the person that binged and purged i've done it all and i think in 2019 2020 when i had those hormone issues that was my wake-up call that i can't do this and i can't diet this hard all the time so by 2020 the peak of my weight gain was up to 153 which is very high for me i had never weighed that much but i was eating less than what i was eating now and Again, if you were to do the math and the numbers, that doesn't make sense, right? Cause it's like, why am I gaining there compared to here? But that's because of all that hormonal dysfunction. So like I needed that wake up call to get where I'm at today because this time around when I went through prep, I, excuse me, I supported myself properly with supplementation. I took adequate diet breaks. I pushed back show dates if I needed to. I didn't really push it if it didn't feel good. And I also had a boundary. I gave myself a certain number I wouldn't go under. I gave myself a certain date that I'd be done. And I told myself I'm taking at least a year off.
1: <laughs> Smart. And even if you take that out of the, out of the bodybuilding and out of the, out of the competitive context, you still spend a really, really good amount of time nourishing yourself properly. Now, mm-hmm. it's not like you stopped working out. I, I would imagine you probably peeled back intensity a little bit or maybe frequency a little bit now.
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, my cardio is only four sessions of 10 minutes and I get around 10 to 12,000 steps per day because I have dogs. Also, I'm pretty sedentary. If I didn't hop on my treadmill at three miles per hour, it's nothing strenuous, but it's just about creating those habits and also having to learn. That's the hard thing with me is like, and bodybuilding is like, I have to learn how to turn it on, but also kind of turn it off. And I think a lot of bodybuilders are always on and they don't know how to rest a little bit. And that's also not really good for your psyche either.
1: No, it's an understanding that in the bodybuilding context, when you're talking about competitors, there is an absolute need to rest. Mm-hmm. For your average person who's giving themselves that grace where it's like, oh, well, I worked out twice this week. I'm good. <laughs> I usually, I usually tell people, three times a week of weight training should be a minimum goal. Yeah. I don't think you're going to at two times a week. Maybe if you're really, really heavy, like I've worked with some women who are really, really heavy, who are just really just dipping their toes into the water at that point, five to 8,000 steps a day is probably all they're going to be able to handle. Maybe some body weight stuff just to activate muscle. But until you start to really lose that initial level of weight, you're kind of almost putting your body at more of a risk than it is a reward. So stepping yourself slowly into it, but if you don't have a ton of weight to lose, you're gonna have to budget for at least three days a week. At that point, you're doing full body every day, or maybe a push pull legs routine. And that's bare minimum because you can't really create enough volume of exercise on a weekly basis at three days a week to really create any type of continuous change.
0: Yeah. In my opinion. And I think that you know there are going to be times where you might need to go back to three times a week and that's fine if you have that like training history because there's a difference between achieving that look and then maintaining it but if that's you're true. i'm at three <laughs> days a week yeah but if you're someone that's trying to add muscle you're probably going to need more frequency but know that there's also that fine line too of like more is not better so like the three times a week like if you did six times a week you're not going to get more results usually there's A certain level to where you reach, where you just are wasting time and like reaching junk volume. And so, if you're going 10, 15 exercises in a day, five times a week, like you're literally wasting time. And if anything, you could also become catabolic depending on what your diet looks like. So you have to be mindful of that. And I find for most of my clients, they're out, they're on a four to five day split. I have a few that are on a three day split, but again, they're more like that really overweight. So we're, we're really just trying to take it easy there. And I like to give daily activity goals and cardio goals outside of that, because I think so many people neglect daily activity and they only look at what they can do in the gym versus like, am I moving throughout the day? Because again, you burn the most calories outside of the gym. I
1: exercise activity thermogenesis between just your bmr i mean that's accounting for 75 percent of your calorie burn right there Mm -hmm. and you haven't even set foot inside of a gym at that point yet so i don't think any anybody uh, of any walk of life should ever really worry about calories burned inside the gym unless there's some crazy endurance athlete who has to monitor those types of things but a good start for anybody that's just starting out if they can do it is three days a week of full body and then Evolve from there into four days a week of maybe two uppers, two lowers, maybe a fifth day of accessory and cardio. And when we talk about cardio, we're not saying it's only a treadmill or it's only an elliptical. It could be an aggressive walk for 10 minutes up up a gradient. It could be walking the dog at a faster pace. It could be anything that's outside of the average movement pattern for you. I like things that are low impact. Do 10 minutes of shadow boxing, do 10 minutes on a rower, do 10 minutes on an aerodyne bike of just kind of constantly perpetually moving where the limbs are moving and the heart is pumping and there is some type of an increase in the in the in the heart rate. It doesn't have to be crazy.
0: I think that exercise can be play too. And as adults, we're told that everything almost has to be work and we forget to play and have fun. And like for myself, like you'll see me in the gym lifting weights, but then you'll see me doing handstands and flips and stuff. And a lot of people think it's weird that an adult is doing it, but it's like that, that's fun for me. So it's like, if you had a sport growing up that you loved, like you can still do it and use it as exercise. Like just because you turned 18 and you're not on your high school team anymore, doesn't mean you have to quit. Cause I feel like that love still is there. And it's going to be a lot more enjoyable and it makes time fly by if it's something you really enjoy versus being on the treadmill
1: i would much rather take there's a huge hill by my house it's actually really really hard it's probably like a 30 degree incline and i just have a mission i just try to walk my dog up and down the hill a bunch of times he gets mad at me because he hates it Mm -hmm. and it's tough but like that's i'm not dying i'm not sprinting up the hill But it's enough to get my heart rate going it's enough for me to almost break a little bit of a sweat and i feel pretty accomplished there's blood rushing to my legs because it's strenuous so find ways to just be more active like when i i never i don't know about your check-ins like i do most of my check-ins with my phone so when i take my check-in calls i'm pacing around my apartment Mm -hmm. you know at an hour consult when i sign up a new client I can get three, 4,000 steps in in that hour because I'm just pacing back and forth. I never sit. This is probably the longest I've sat for in a week. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that any movement, even if it's around the house, doing chores, you know, if, if, if a female has a girlfriend she hasn't talked to in a while, call her on the phone, pace around your house for a little while, go outside, take your phone calls outside. Yeah. Get out and just move. It doesn't matter. Obviously, resistance training is what changes the the composition and the look and feel of your body. That's what's going to add that tone muscle mass that you're looking for. But just movement doesn't have to be anything extreme.
0: Mm -hmm. Going back to the whole crazy schedule things, kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast is you also have to be realistic with yourself too in the fact that are you genuinely just not organized and are there windows of time that you're missing out on? So is that waking up five to 10 minutes earlier to take your dog out on a quick walk around the block? Or you know, is that actually taking a lunch break? For the love of God, please take a freaking lunch break. I'm so sick of corporate jobs, not letting people take breaks, but take your hour break and make 30 of, thirty minutes of it eating and then walk for 30 minutes and let that meal digest. Simple. You're going to get so much more movement in just by changing those habits instead of like hanging out in the break room and wasting time.
1: I used to live in Connecticut and we had a gym that had valet parking, which is, I guess, a convenience item because if you're pulling up to the gym and you're in a hurry and there's no parking spots, it's nice to have a valet parking option. But park as far as you like when I go to the grocery store here in California, like I park so far away from the front door. And I'm do I'm just I, I take the stairs in every building I walk into. I always park far away. I always try to find time to just move. And step activity does matter. It does burn energy like you want it to. I mean, you're te- if you take 10,000 steps and you're 150, 160 pounds as a human being, you're probably burning almost a 1,000 calories at 10,000 steps. So that's, that's in addition to your resting metabolism, which is probably around 1,500. So that's 2,500 calories of expenditure If you're not eating a thousand calories less than that and not losing weight, then we have a problem with the metabolism, as we've discussed before. So you have to be able to understand that if you're somebody who's moving around a lot and you're exercising, there has to be a need for food.
0: I do give a little bit of tough love to some of my clients who are walking maybe three, four thousand steps per day. And I just remind them that you're technically sedentary. You know, I see that you get you got your workout in and maybe you got your 15 minutes of cardio in, but you're still sedentary. And there are health issues that come with being sedentary, like heart disease and poor digestion and poor blood glucose regulation. There's so many issues that come with being sedentary. And that's why you do have people who maybe work out three times a week, but then they still develop these issues because they're sitting on their butt a lot of the time.
1: When I when I was in finance and I sat for 12 hours a day. I would just chug water so i could just have a reason to go to the bathroom at least once an hour and i would just take laps around my office building like i would go to the bathroom i would pass my desk i would walk back towards the bathroom past my desk again because let's be very realistic I, even with an office job it's not like you're working nine hours straight you know what i mean like unless yeah. you're doing something super crazy like i, I like i obviously have, have people that are running hedge funds that i work with who are on calls all day long it's back to back to back to back but even that like schedule your calls and don't make them zoom calls get up and move around if you don't have to be at a computer to type move take advantage of it there's ways to get around that it's just you have to get creative and think outside the box of just the gym is where i work out and that's it I, i don't move anywhere outside of that like it has to be bigger than just that and then like you said about time utilization Meal prep doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be ex- extenuating. Before our call, our call was at nine o'clock. At 8.50, I made three pounds of shrimp, containered it, washed all the dishes, and by 8:59, I was at the desk. Yeah. So it doesn't like that. There's my meal prep done for the day. I yeah. have bag steam in a bag of rice. I have blueberries and arugula that I'm gonna put together in a little bowl as a side salad. Done. It took me 10, 8 minutes. Mm -hmm. So this idea that I can't meal prep, I don't have time. If you're working from home right now and you're not taking advantage of that time to understand how to prep your food, shame on you. And I'm sorry that it didn't work out.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, so many people are working from home now, and this is a great opportunity to get a handle on your nutrition because you do have the luxury of having uh, a hot cooked meal, something fresh that's naturally going to be more appetizing. But there's plenty of times where I was just telling you, like my one chicken meal I make, I cut up peppers, I have pre made chicken, I throw it in the air fryer, I microwave rice, I hop on over to my office, maybe do a few emails, come on out, put it on a bowl, add a little bit of Either an oil or some sort of dressing to add flavor, and done. It's not hard, you know. Would I love to have like this amazing-looking meal all the time? Sure, but I also don't want to spend an hour, hour and a half out of my day. And some of my meals look ugly. Some of them look like carrots and a sandwich, like something a seven-year-old would eat. But you know, it's okay. As for me, I just try to look at. What are going to be my vegetables and my color sources of the day? Where am I getting my protein from? Am I spreading my protein out throughout the day? And I do like to have something I look forward to. But it is funny because my taste has changed a lot. So looking forward to something used to be something like really sweet, like a cookie or a donut or something like that. But now it's like if I have a Greek yogurt bowl with some honey and apples and maybe some granola and nuts and seeds on it, that's something I really look forward to. It's like you can still have fun with your diet. You don't have to deprive yourself.
1: I don't know how you do your meal structures with your clients, but for example, for mine, what I always do is I'll say, How many meals a day sounds realistic to you to get down? And let's call it four. If that's four times seven meals, seven days a week, that's 28 meals per week. If 23 of those meals out of those 28 meals are really, really good and spot on or nutritious and you're hitting your numbers and you're nailing your protein, carbs and fats and calories, then you can give yourself a little bit of grace on the other five. Five meals out of seven days a week is not going to set you back all that far. Now, obviously, if you're a competitor, you're eight weeks out, you're not doing that kind of stuff. But if you're general population, if you're an average person who's just trying to look and feel better, if you're controlling... 90% of the food intake you have and then you order out or go out to eat for the other four or five meals you're going to be okay. Yeah. Now obviously you can very much blow out your calories in one meal. I've done it. I could eat I could eat 6000 calories worth of pizza and ice cream in one sitting. But Most people aren't gonna do that. They're not disgusting like I am. Yeah. So
0: or you do that and then you feel horrible after and then you don't do it again.
1: That's that's kind of how I feel now. Like as now I'm 37 years old. Gut health is my priority. I don't want to feel like shit all the time, like I used to. So that temporary, like I have four slices of cake right now in my fridge that are in the freezer that I really want to eat at night, but then I'm like, okay, well, if I eat this and I had a perfect day already today. Why am I going to ruin a perfect day just for that 10-minute that satisfaction of eating the cake that I know is not going to make me feel good? So let me save that for something special. Maybe if I want to go out to dinner on Saturday night, if I want to go grab lunch on Friday afternoon, I'll save it for that. So just, just, just plan ahead a little bit better and know that not every meal has to taste like a vacation.
0: And there's plenty of times for. I go into treating myself like a toddler mode where I make my food and I don't want it. Like I know a meal today that I don't really want is like egg whites and toast and avocado. Not bad food by any means. I'm not in the mood for it, but I have it in my house. It needs to be eaten and it's going to help me hit my macros and hit my goals for the day. So we're going to eat it. You have to give yourself some tough love. And I think so many people are really too lenient with themselves and again, going into, I have a little bit of discomfort. I need to avoid it. That's the world we live in, especially here in the States. Discomfort, need to avoid it. How do I avoid it? Distraction or a pill. (laughs) And you have to be okay with having a little bit of unpleasantness here and there. It's going to be fine.
1: The, re- the positive reinforcement that happens from making those decisions is so important because you condition your body to want to feel good and you condition your body to, to associate your, your behavior to that feeling, as opposed to the classic thing for me is because I'm definitely a binger when I want to be. I live in a weed legal state, so I smoke almost every single day, so I get the munchies when I smoke. Mm-hmm. I know for me, if I smoke at 7 p.m. and I have nothing going on for the rest of the night, Grubhub, here I come. Mm -hmm. and it's going to be something shitty and it's going to be something suboptimal for how I'm going to feel. And that's going to roll into the next day because I'm not going to feel good on that following day because I've eaten something inflammatory that didn't agree with me. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to making that decision that I know is not going to make me feel good, it may make me feel good for those five minutes that I'm chilling on the couch and everything is blissful because that pizza is so great and those wings are so delicious. And I know I got that ice cream in the fridge waiting for me. But I know in the grand scheme of things, I'm going to feel like crap later. And not even emotionally. Forget about the emotional part of me guilting it, maybe. But the physical aspect of the fact that I've eaten so clean for so long, that that's just going to completely throw off my bowels and everything else. So is it truly worth it? And can you space those habits apart from one another to where you can plan and fit them in and they're not as detrimental? Like I'd much rather save my – like I love five guys. But I'm not going to eat a burger every single day. But I know that when I finally do get that five guys in a week or so, it's going to be awesome. And it'll curb my craving for another week or two.
0: You made me just want a burger really bad. (laughs) I love, I don't know if you've been to BJ's Brewhouse, but they have a really good bison burger.
1: That sounds really good.
0: I was going to say too, like, I like the whole, like, it's not that you can never have these things. It's that you'll have them, but you'll have them on more of a rare occasion. And that's what you try to remind yourself of too. It's not that you can't have these things. It's just that not today. If we're, we're not going to have it.
1: And just know that those are, those are always going to be there. The fast food places. I mean, clearly they're not going anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic where public health is so important. But the line here at in and out in California at the burger place is, is already forming at 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So you have these options that are always going to be there. And when you do have the option to eat something crappy that you know is not going to be great, at least go for the higher quality version of it. Like if you know you can have the difference between McDonald's and Five Guys or maybe McDonald's and a bar burger, go have a night out. Go have the bar burger. It's going to probably have better ingredients in it. It's probably way better handled. The sides will be better. And make an event out of it as opposed to like sitting there in shame on your couch with Uber Eats McDonald's that's probably already cold by the time it gets to your door and the fries are soggy and gross.
0: Why waste it? Yeah, I'm so big on making food be like a pleasurable experience. And like even like with our average meals that we have that don't look the best, I still will try to sit down with my meal, use a fork, use a knife, take my time and eat it. And be grateful for it. Cause I think so many people will just like rush food in, especially fast food. They're like eating as fast as possible. And that kind of takes away from the whole experience and making food enjoyable.
1: I agree. I agree completely.
0: So our podcast is definitely getting along here. And I did want to end today's podcast by providing, I guess, words of advice to someone who would be listening to this podcast, maybe someone that's kind of struggling with some of the things that we mentioned, like what advice would be to that woman out there?
1: I'd say the most important thing that any person, especially female can be, is be very realistic about your expectations of yourself and fit them into your actual current lifestyle. Not the magical romantic lifestyle that you wanna have, Mm -hmm. but the reality of what your schedule is like today, how much you're actually able to dedicate towards your nutrition and fitness, and be realistic with fitting that goal into that timeframe and then that way when you know that okay i only really have four hours a week to exercise i know i really only have about 20 minutes a day to prep so then you fit your goals into that into that window and don't expect much more more than you're able to give
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's the best way to not ever disappoint yourself
0: yeah i think you know fitness should fit into your life you shouldn't make your life fit around your fitness goals and that's going to be something that's going to be sustainable and effortless for you to hit.
1: Yeah, I mean again, we're not comp- I'm not a competitor. I don't really train with I, I don't really work with many competitors. I have a couple, but your average person doesn't need to live the life that they see on Instagram. They yeah. don't need to be at the gym six days a week. They don't need to eat out of a plastic container 24/7, but they should be making good positive choices more often than that. And if they're 80/20, 80, 85/15 adherent, they're gonna do pretty damn well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, I'm going to leave all of Aram's information down below. So if you wanna go check out his Instagram or even reach out to him in regards to coaching, you can check that on out. Do you have anything else you wanna mention?
1: I appreciate the time. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.